would it be? And he lives in California. He says, you know, I'd like to go to Hawaii, but I'm afraid to fly. Could you arrange it like building a road from the mainland to Hawaii so I could drive there? And God thought about that. And he says, you know, it's possible, but there's some interesting dynamics there. Wouldn't you want, an, is there another wish that you have? And he says, you know, I've been divorced several times. Lord, could you please help me understand women? God paused. And he said, do you want two lanes or do you want four lanes? <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord God. It's a great day. It's a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord God, that our hearts are beating. Thank you, Lord, that our lungs are working. Thank you, Lord God, that our minds are alert. Thank you, Lord God, that we sit in a comfortable place. Thank you, Lord God, for people who love us. Thank you most of all that you love us and that we are going great places. And Lord, ultimately that great place is with you forever. Lord, thank you for that privilege. Thank you, Jesus, that you made the way. Lord, I pray today that you would be honored Help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help me to speak the things that you want me to speak. In your name, amen. The theme that I have this morning is called The Final Step, 30 Days. And I thought about this um, especially as I've grown older, uh, I, I was sitting in here, and there, if you don't sit in here, you don't see if there's a countdown. It starts with five minutes. And it's interesting how quickly those five minutes pass, and there's a countdown. And really, for you and me, there's a countdown. We, we don't know how much time we have, but there is a countdown. And so I, I was thinking about the final step if I, if, I were, if I were living my last 30 days, what would I be doing? What would I be thinking? And I'm going to quote something out of Oswald Chambers. He's really talking about your purpose. He says, Our real test is in truly believing that God knows what he de desires. The things that happen do not happen by chance. They happen entirely by the decree of God. God is sovereignly working out his own purposes. If we are in fellowship and oneness with God and recognize that he's taking us into his purposes, then we will no longer strive to find out what his purposes are. As we grow in the Christian life, it becomes simpler to us because we are less inclined to say, I wonder why God allowed this or that. Just aside here, Jesus said in Matthew 18.3, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become my children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, in a healthy, loving, parent-child relationship, children are more apt to obey and trust. But so often as we as adults, we think thoughts that rob us of the benefits. We do things that rob us of the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. And we begin to see the compelling purpose of God lies behind everything in life. 
and that God is divinely shaping us into oneness with that purpose. A Christian is someone who trusts in the knowledge and the wisdom of God, not in his own abilities. If we have a purpose of our own, it destroys the simplicity and the calm, relaxed pace, which should be characteristic of the children of God. So what are the things that rob us of that simplicity, that calmness, that peace? He identifies one of them. It's really our, our agenda. Our agenda when we're at our job, our agenda when we're with friends, our agenda when we're with church members. Is it, are we really serious about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's, my, it's getting my way, on my job, my family, wherever might, I might be. It's striving and not trusting. It's my will, not his. How about material things? First, I want to make it clear that every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. God desires to give good things to his children, but so often we elevate those things above him. The more things we have, the more things we worry about. I don't like it when I have a brand new something, a brand new vehicle, and I get a scratch on it. How long do I meditate on that scratch? How about things that break? Do you have a series of situations where things break, things go wrong, and you meditate on it? I'm using the word meditate because that's exactly what we do. That robs us of the simplicity and the purposes of God. Judgments. One morning I got up and I was looking at a text on my cell phone and it had to do with somebody who's sick and this person who texted says, we will put you on our prayer chain. It was not with this church, it was a different church. And um, I judged that. You know why I judged it? Because I got a problem with prayer chains. When somebody's sick, the first thing that I think we do is pray for their health. If a guy is acting like the devil and has backslidden, you think that's, on, that's God's agenda to heal him and everything is just fine after that? I think a lot of times we don't know how to pray as we should. And when we're in that situation, we need to have the mind of Christ because the most important thing for that person is that he is walking with the Lord. Anyway, for a few seconds, I judged that, and I thought, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm going to start out my morning the right way. I'm going to be thankful. Because you know what? If you judge something, which is your opinion, the next thing is a bad attitude. Bad attitude produces complaining, and complaining produces gossip. It's just a vicious chain of bad things that happen in my day when I do that. How often do we dwell on our problems? And if it's not our problem, are we dwelling on somebody else's problem? If you live long enough, you'll have verbal garbage thrown at you. Do you meditate on that stuff? 
What burden or problem are you now thinking about that is robbing you of the purpose, the simplicity of being a child of God? What volume of your and my conversation has to do with negative stuff? Are there some people who can't talk about anything other than negative stuff? Do you have anything in common other than negative stuff? Whether it's your problems or somebody else's problems. Are we pleasers of men or are we pleasers of God? Are we pleasers of ourselves rather than pleasers of God? I think what's really absent is the lack of the fear of God in the body of Christ. That understanding that there is a countdown and someday I'm going to be before the judgment seat of Christ. I was thinking of King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. The Lord, through Samuel the prophet, told Saul to obliterate the Amalekites. Kill every man, every woman, every child, every animal. What did he do? He did not kill King Agag. And he kept the best of the sheep, the oxen, and the lambs. And when Samuel confronted him, he says this. Verse 24, I feared the people and listened to their voice. How often do we listen to the voice of people versus the Lord? Not only that, King Saul wanted to look good in front of the people, so he asked Samuel this in verse 30. He says, Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me. King Saul was not really interested in God's purposes. But God wasn't done with them yet. In verse 14 of chapter 16, he sends an evil spirit. Yes, God sends an evil spirit to terrorize King Saul. But in his mercy, he sends David to play the harp. Why? In verse 23 it says, So it came about... Whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. I don't understand those dynamics. I haven't thought about that much. But God in his mercy sends David to play the harp and refresh King Saul, and when he did that, the evil spirit left. God was saying something to King Saul, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe King Saul was supposed to mentor David, who was ultimately going to replace him. But Saul, in his jealousy, chases away God's mercy. That is, David. You know, they were singing that Saul killed the thousands, but David killed ten thousands. King Saul didn't like that. He was jealous. And his jealousy chased away the remedy that, or the mercy that God had sent to him. And ultimately, because Saul really didn't repent. He, he acknowledged his sin, but he didn't repent. God took him out of the picture. 
if I had 30 days left, would I have a healthy fear of the Lord? Knowing that within 30 days, I would be before the judgment seat. So how did Jesus live to accomplish his purposes? You can say many things about how he lived his last 30 days. He definitely was set upon dying on the cross. That was the reason that he was sent. He was definitely desiring to to do the Father's will. But there's one scripture that came to mind that I think is appropriate for us. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. He walked in calmness and peace because he sought the Father's will. That was his motivation for living. In our decisions of significance, whether it's financial, whether it's relationships, whether it's a job change, what is our attitude? You know, we live in a very material world. Do we elevate material things above God's will. And I remember um, when Jerry and I bought the house that we're in right now, I, I really deliberated about that. And one of the revelations that God gave me is this. If you can take it or leave it, you are more apt to discern God's will. And back then, Dr. John Allen was facilitating a class called the Alpha Class. And there was a chapter in there in discerning God's will. And that's what that author said. If you can come to the point of decision-making and say, I can take it or leave it, you're more apt to discern God's will. If that's what you want. But sometimes we, we, we rationalize that that material thing is what God wants me to have. Have we, have we really discerned God's purpose and will when we're looking at that material thing? I was thinking of Matthew 19, verses 16, 21. And this is the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, what good thing should I do to to inherit eternal life? What good thing should I do? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. And he says, my childhood up, I've done all these things. Jesus said, that's great. In verse 21, he says, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And of course, the rich young ruler, having many material things, was discouraged and walked away. Let me ask you this. If Jesus gave you that strong of a directive, what would you do? You don't think, you don't, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Right now, God is already talking to you. There is, a, there is an attitude problem. There is a, something of personal interest. Uh, there's something the Lord's asking you to do. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But let me ask you this. If you only have 30 days left, would you do it? Jesus says, sell all that you have. Get rid of the thing that I want you to get rid of. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Certainly, 
If you only have 30 days left, you might be more apt to do that. But why do you have to believe that you only have 30 days left? You don't know whether you have tomorrow or not. And I think quite often we live for tomorrow. If you take an honest evaluation of yourself, you're living for tomorrow. Are you really living for today? Is the Lord's will really being done in our lives today? Psalms 90.12 says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. You know, I can remember when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, and I had this mindset that life goes on forever. Even though I had people close to me dying, but still in my mind, life goes on forever. And now that I'm sliding downhill in a sense, I'm, I'm learning to number my days. I know I don't have much time left. Even if I would live to be 70 or 80, I think one of the greatest delusions that people live under, including believers, is the lack of understanding how quickly time disappears. There is a countdown. And we ought to be living today. Today. And Jesus says, don't think about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble as it is. Think about today. Are we seeking the kingdom of God first and his righteousness? In this opening uh, text of what Oswald Chambers says, as we get older in the Lord, we're not that concerned necessarily about, well, what specific purpose does God have for me? If we are tight with the Lord, he will bring you into his purposes. When I was a school psychologist, someone said, that there is an opening at the bank here to sell insurance. And I said, that's the last thing I want to do. I have absolutely no respect for insurance salesmen. None. But there was something that said, you know what? Why don't you apply and see what happens? So I had the interview in Chaska where the he corporate headquarters is for Klein Bank. And then I came here and had another interview. And in my heart, I thought, this is what the Lord wants me to do. And I didn't come here to sell insurance. I came here because I felt this is what the Lord wants me to do. This is his purpose. Your job is just a scaffolding for God's purposes. As a believer, you're to seek the kingdom of God first. He said, I'll add all these other things on. But seek me first in my righteousness. My goal was never to be an elder. My goal was never to have this title of pastor. My goal was never to be up here on Sunday morning speaking. That was not in my DNA. My goal has been the purpose of God. What are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? And it's amazing when that is your desire, God will bring you to places where you never thought you would go. Some people go from job to job to job and have confusion in their life because they're not seeking the kingdom of God first. The reality is, are you really seeking the kingdom of God first? Colossians 3.7 says, And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Who do you work for? 
Oh, you own your own business. Who do you think gave you that business? Well, I earned it. Listen, there are people who are half as smart as you are making 10 times more money than you. Did they earn that? Jesus says that he gives to his beloved even in our sleep. Solomon Ecclesiastes says that the race isn't to the swift. Seek the kingdom of God first. Acknowledge him in all that we say and do. He's in control. I know that there are difficult decisions in life. When you are making a major decision, whatever that might be, buying something significant, the relationship thing, we think that we have to pray. And praying is good. I believe that if we are walking tight with the Lord, just like Oswald Chambers said, being one with him in fellowship, his purposes will come to fruition. Don't you think that if God the Father is a loving Father and is all-wise, all-knowing, desiring us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us, don't you think that when you are making a major decision that he'll put a check on you if it's wrong? Of course he would. If my children come to me and I know what they're doing is wrong. Don't you think I'll check them? Our Father's no different. He's here to guide us and protect us. If I had 30 days left, would I be tight with the Lord? I would be real tight with the Lord. I'm going to share something with you that I've learned just recently. And I want you to take this the way I intend it. For most of my life, I have taken what people speak to me and negative things that they speak to me the same way I would take it from my wife, my adult children, or my inner circle of friends. It's like the Lord showed me one day, don't do that. Minimize you have to minimize sometimes what people are saying to you. It should not have the same emotional impact as if your spouse spoke it to you, a close friend spoke it to you. There's just too much darkness in this world that comes through people. Jesus had his own inner circle of three. He had James, John, and Peter. He showed them things that he didn't show the other nine. He showed the twelve things that he didn't show his other disciples. Yes, there are other disciples. God says to love all people. But sometimes you need clarification. Not everybody is going to be your friend. That doesn't mean you don't love them, but there's a difference between loving people and them being your friend. Not everybody was Jesus' friend. God wants us to respect all people. He wants us to love all people. And the most important thing is, if I had 30 days left, I would be listening to the people who are closest to me, and I would certainly be listening to the Lord. 
after I had decided to do what I'm just telling you, I had three people in one week who were disagreeable with me. And in my business, you, that happens. <laughs> it doesn't have to be there. I mean, it, it happens here in church, too. And I was remembering what I felt the Lord was teaching me, and I smiled, I respected them, and I felt really calm because I thought, you know what? What's important is what the Lord tells me and what people who are close to me tell me. I'll, I'll respect people and I'll love them. It's not that I'm perfect in that area. I'm not. But I'm learning to really listen to what the Lord is telling me first and foremost. And then knowing that there are people who really care about me and I need to listen to them. What is God saying to me in these last 30 days? There are too many people that come to the end of their life and they have relationship regrets. I've heard it over and over and over. A couple weeks ago, most of my children and grandchildren were together at a lake and I don't remember the name of the song, but my five-year-old Kate was singing Soul Sister. And I got into it. I like singing too. And so her and I were going back and forth singing Soul Sister. I don't know the theme of it. Some of you might know. I, I don't know. But I was making curried coffee, and I was just not really paying attention. Somebody just interrupted and said, no, I'm make coffee over here. And those things happen. But what was really interesting is the dad of this five-year-old said, now, what do you think was really more important? Grandpa making coffee or not making coffee or singing with his granddaughter? You see, there's just too many things in life that we allow to get in the way of relationships. There are people, and I've seen it, who come to the end of their life, and they've been supposedly walking with the Lord, but they start questioning their salvation. And I believe that the reason they are is because God, at one time or another, pointed his finger at something saying, I want you to restore what you took. I want you to reconcile where there needs to be reconciliation. And if you don't do that, and you come to the last 30 days of your life, if God gives you that grace to think about those things, the enemy gets in there with doubt and fear because you haven't been obedient to the Lord. Don't have any regrets today. If God is asking you to reconcile and get right, we need to do that because you don't know how many days you've got left. When I was about 19 or 20 years old, I stole $20 from my dad. Didn't think anything of it until I was about 51. And it popped into my mind. I thought, what is this all about? It's like God saying, I want you to pay back the $20 times five. And I want you to go tell your dad. So Jerry and I took my dad and my stepmother out for lunch. It was not an easy thing to do. <laughs> this has happened when I was 19, 20 years old. I'm 50, 51 now. And so I did it. And 
And I, after I did that, I thought, you know, well, I did what God wanted me to do. But as I was preparing this message, the, revelga- the revelation came to me. Is, see, my, my dad died at 89, and two weeks before he died, he asked Jesus Christ into his life. It's like the Lord was saying, you know what had an impact on him? He was, he, he, was, he was a man who understood what was right. And when he saw me reconcile, if you will, or restore what I had stolen, it had an impact on his life. See, when God asks us to restore, to reconcile, you don't know what kind of impact that will have on people. My dad was not a believer at that time. But God uses these things to point to him. Because the world doesn't do that. In Romans 12, 18, I don't have it up here, but I think this is really important. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What that means is this. You will never, ever be friends with everybody. There will be some people who will choose not to reconcile with you. But as far as it depends on you, you can be at peace. If you have done what the Lord has asked you to do, you can be at peace. There are people who I have done what I needed to do for me to have peace with them. I can look them in the eye and I'm fine. But they can't look me in the eye because they're not fine. It's like I said before. You're to love all people, but not everybody's going to be your friend. But you can be right with them as far as the Lord is concerned. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We were born to leave this earth. The day that you were born, you were born to leave this earth. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. This is the Message Bible. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Have you had the opportunity to tell others about what the Lord has done in your life? Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Do we have that eternal perspective? You were born to leave this earth. This is, this, the life here is very short, very, very short. You know, when I was thinking about this message, a lot of times God will confirm that this is what I'm supposed to be talking about. And one night I, I was up, the older I get, the less sleep I get for, what, what, for whatever reason, but I was up late at night and I was listening to this pastor. I'd never seen him before. I don't know who he is. But he was talking about this last 30 days thing. And, I, and then he had a video of a man uh, who had just been diagnosed again with cancer. He, he was probably my age, a little bit older maybe, 
And the doctor says, you got six weeks to live. And the man said, and he's a believer, and he said, you know, when I heard that, there was a calmness and a peace that entered my heart. He said, you know, my wife and I had a great marriage, but there was a sweetness that developed after that diagnosis. My marriage with my wife is sweeter than every poor. It's just a sweet relationship. And I was thinking about that. You know, he's been told he's only got six weeks left. What would you be thinking about? The problems that nor normally you meditate on, would you be doing that? Probably not. You'd be concentrating on the Lord. You'd be concentrating on relationships and certainly those people most close to you. And then it would be sweeter. I remember when I was uh, in, uh, in New Ulm, as a school psychologist, there were other consultants in my office. There were school psychologists, social workers, coordinators, and we served school districts, Mankato, New Ulm, that area. And um, I had recently come to know the Lord, and <clears throat> our, our desks were in the open. You could see each other and so forth. You could talk to one another. And one day, this lady who was my age approximately at that time looked at me and she said, there's something different about you. Now, I, I've had people tell me that before. <laughs> but what she was talking about, and she explained, she says, I see a calmness and a peace in you, which is really phenomenal because I had just come to know, and I told this story before, my marriage was not very good. It was starting to mend at that time, but, it, you know, there's, we had a long ways to go yet. And so the phenomenal part was, is that's the time that I was meditating on his word day and night. I had to. What she saw was Jesus Christ. What she saw was his spirit, his spirit in me. People are attracted to calmness and peace. I'm going to read this. Some of you probably saw this on, on the internet. <clears throat> but this was actually something that was on ABC News. It's the mystery priest vanishes after anointing crash victim. A small Missouri town is looking for a man not suspected of a crime, but rather a miracle. I think that this time I've actually witnessed a guardian angel at work, Jeremiah C. of the New London Fire Department, told ABC News. An unidentified, allegedly drunk, drunken driver hit Katie Lance of Quincy, Missouri, head-on August 4th while traveling on Route 19 near Center, Missouri, pinning the 19-year-old in the front seat of her convertible. With her vital signs failing fast, she asked rescue crews to pray for her. I give her credit that she had the mind to ask for prayer. That's when first responders say a man who looked like a Catholic priest seemed to appear out of nowhere, despite a two-mile perimeter blocking the scene. He began to pray and use the anointing oil. New London Fire Chief Raymond Reed said, there was a calmness that to me seemed to come over the entire scene. But that's not the only seemingly divine detail. Firefighters say their equipment kept failing until the mystery man showed up. The words were to remain calm that our tools would now work, Reed said. Lent survived, but the man vanished before crews could thank him. It really was a priest, by the way, and I was thinking that maybe it was an angel. That's not the point. This priest had the mind of Christ. He had the oil with him, and he had a calmness that came into a chaotic scene. 
A powerful witness to the world is calmness and peace. You know, in the end times it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It says that darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness and peace. There'll be crisis, there'll be crisis, there'll be crisis. But it says this, that nations will be drawn to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That light should entail calmness and peace. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. It's the peace of Christ in us. You know, we need to ask ourselves daily, what's really important? And I was thinking of Malachi, he's one of the greatest uh, prophets at all, all time. It's Malachi. 3.16. In the New American Standard it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. In a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. This is the New Living Translation. <clears throat> it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Then he says this. It's not up there, but he says, They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. I believe that before Jesus comes back, he's going to have believers who are talking about him and honoring them and what they say. And there's a promise that goes with it. He says, in the day of judgment, I will spare them as a father who spares his son, who serves and obeys him. We need to pay attention to what we're talking about, what we're saying. We're all guilty of it, but that's not our how we ought to be acting as his children. When that happens, it actually stills our calmness and our peace and the purpose of God. You know, I... When, when somebody comes up here to speak, there's a lot of preparation. You know, I'm thinking, for me, it's probably about 15 hours or so. And when, I, when I've done back-to-back, -back, this is not back-to-back, -back, it was two Sundays ago I spoke, but still, it requires a lot of time. And what I'm learning is when I truly am calm about it, God downloads. He just downloads in me. So I get some of the best thoughts when I'm sleeping and I wake up and there's a thought there. It's because I'm calm. <laughs> But I'm learning that when I'm calm, God downloads his word into my life that I understand. It's, it's a revelation. You know, if you're anxious, really, how productive are you? When we are calm and at peace, we are constructive, we are productive, we get creative ideas. Versus when you're anxious, how productive are you? Not very. We need that calmness and peace that Jesus Christ gives us. The world is looking for it. John 8, 31 says, 
if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of, my, of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I like the word make. I like the word make. Your very essence, your very being is freedom. Freedom to be who God has created you to be. Not that you were set free and then that thing can come on you again. No, when you abide, when I abide in Christ and his word, he says he'll make you free. He'll make you free to be who God has created you to be. That calmness, that peace, the joy, the love that he wants us to have, he'll make you free. Condition, abiding in his word. In my transition from the earth to eternity, I want to be real. I want to be who God's created me to be. Walking in calmness and peace, intimate with Jesus, tight with Jesus, right with people, focused on what's important. Finally, John 17, verses 3 through 4. Jesus said, and this is the, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That I may know thee. That I may know the living God. The true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. Two things. As I know Jesus more and more and more and more and more and become like him. And my relationship with him is living and vibrant. He gives me what I'm supposed to have and what I'm supposed to do. His purposes for my life will be accomplished as I seek the kingdom of God first, as I am responding to him in his oneness and being one with him. His purpose is accomplished, and most of all, he is glorified. Are you at a point where you truly want to glorify Jesus Christ? Do you really get excited about glorifying Jesus Christ? Do you have joy in glorifying Jesus Christ? When you seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and you're a child who is trusting in God, his purposes are accomplished, and he is glorified. I talk about the final step the last 30 days. Today is your last day. You don't know what tomorrow has for you. You don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. Do we really have to wait until we know it's our last 30 days? God is a now God. Today we are to glorify him. Today he has a purpose for you and me. And as we seek him first, the promise is that his purpose for your life would be accomplished. Because you know, when you're before the judgment seat, when I'm before the judgment seat, wouldn't it be great to know that Jesus will say, I created you for this purpose and it was accomplished because you trusted in me, you sought my will, and I was glorified. You, you all know Psalm 23. It's typically, it's typically mentioned at funeral. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He makes me mow the lawn. He leads me by still waters. Do you hear what's being said? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He prepares a table for me before the pres- in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. Surely, loving kindness and goodness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. In the Message Bible, I love this. He makes beauty in love chase after you. I like that. Beauty in love. His beauty in love chases after you. You can dwell in his house today. God is wanting a deeper relationship with each of us. He is our shepherd. God has some great things for you. You were created for a specific purpose. To glorify Jesus Christ. And my hope and my prayers, each one, when you're before the judgment seat, he can not only say, well done, good and faithful servant. He can say, you trusted in me. My purposes were accomplished. Thank you. Thank you. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. Lord, help us to live today for you, for your purposes, O Lord. Help us to truly seek your kingdom first, almighty God. Lord, what we have is today, what we have is this moment. Help us to live it according to your word. And Lord, your presence, which is here, would be shown to others. Your presence, that calmness, that peace, would be shown to others. And they will say, there's something different about you. What is it? I want to know. Father, I pray for your anointing on this people, this congregation, these people who have heard your word today, and that, Lord, you would be honored, you would be glorified, and that would be our desire. That would be our joy, that you are glorified. Have your way today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you desire prayer, we'd be glad to pray for you. Have a great day. His kingdom come. His will be done in your life as it is in heaven. Amen.